And of course, if you're a big comedy fan, uh, the comedian we are talking about, a comedian named Mantan Morland. No, I know what he likes to do with his dick. Or you know what he likes to do with his mashed potatoes. <laughs> exactly. And also, uh, he is known for uh, being sampled by the Beastie Boys on this track. Shit, if this going to be that kind of party, I'm going to stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> Oh, he was uh, considered a possible addition to the Three Stooges in What's, 1955. What? No way, really? I, I, if it's the same man, Tan. Okay. But very cool is that he got his start as a comedian working with uh, alongside Red Fox at the Apollo Theater in the 40s. And, and how this all ties in is that uh, he is part of a genre of comedy, uh, a recorded genre of comedy called Party Records. First of all, uh, welcome to our podcast, Comedy History 101, where we talk about the history of comedy. I am Harmon Leon, and with me is... Scott Colonico. I am a party robot now. Right. Hey, did you hear that uh, we got like one comment on uh, iTunes? I did see uh, that. I need pretty to... favorable, but they had two critiques I of uh, <laughs> uh, you and myself. Yes. They said you say a lot. That's a whole other podcast, but that's my catchphrase. That's like my line. On... That's branding, dude. It's our branding. It's our catchphrases. It's our uh, getter duns. That'd be like telling Lawanda Page not to say "Watch it, sucker" on on um, Sanford and Son, you know. Exactly, exactly. And again, there's more tying everything together because uh, LaWanda Page, very relevant to our topic today, which is the history of party records, most particularly uh, the comedy label Laugh Records, uh, which was recorded some of their best albums in the 60s and 70s and included like such comedians as Richard Pryor, Red Fox, uh, LaWanda Page, as we just mentioned. George Carlin uh, recorded one album with them, uh, his album uh, Killer Carlin. Also kind of lesser-known comedians, uh, largely African-American. They recorded uh, Pipeline Dan, Tina Dixon, Skillet and Leroy, and, and, and one of my new favorite uh, party record discoveries, uh, Richard and Willie. They kind of had a different kind of thing going on, didn't they? Well, Richard and Willie was a ventriloquist. Yeah, the, so uh, <laughs> he, he was kind of, he was referred to as prior with a dummy. Yeah. So, and, and, and a really great album I came across of theirs is called Low Down and Dirty, recorded in 1969. You ever been in Mississippi before? 
Should I have been there two years ago? Why did they put you down in Mississippi? They told me they want me to be on a big show. What was the name of the show? I thought they said sing and tell jokes, but it actually said swing on a short rope. <laughs> yeah. But what I liked about it, 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 it it's kind of a reflection of our fucked up times now is that it was very kind of uh, on the pulse of kind of uh, racial politics of, of 1969 but hearing it in 2017 a comedian making almost the exact same jokes in Donald Trump's America the, the jokes felt like really fresh and relevant right, sadly. Yeah. Basically they had this great bit about uh, you know driving through the south and being uh you know, uh, pulled over by police in Alabama and all that shit. So. Look, man, you in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. You driving along the road. Okay, what happened? A white policeman tell you to get out the car. What you do? I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, a white policeman tell me to get out the car. Yeah, what you do, sucker? I asked him, what does he want me to get out for? It? Don't you go down there. Don't you go down there. <laughs> what do I do? You get the hell out. That's the first thing you do. Now, after you get out the car, you understand, mm -hmm. he tell you to walk the white line. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, yeah. A white policeman tells me to walk the white line. Yeah, what you do, sucker? I walk it. Don't you go down there. Don't you go down there. What do I do then? You tell him to paint it black, and then you walk it. Sadly, very relevant to kind of how police treat African Americans in 2017. Don't you go down there. <laughs> that was it. That was, that was the dummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was like one... The weird thing is that the dummy had been down to the south before. Yeah, like on his own. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure how that worked, but he had, he had some problems. So what happened then? I started running. You started running, yeah. So what the Ku Klux Klansmen do? They shot at me. They shot at you? Yeah, how many times? One time. Wait a minute, man. Wait a minute. How do you know they only shot at How do you know they only shot at you one time? Because I heard that damn bullet twice. How can you possibly hear one bullet twice? Look, man. Mm-hmm. I heard it once when it passed me. Mm-hmm. And again when I passed it. Again, so anyways, the history of party records. Party records are basically albums that adults would play at night while the kids were in bed. It also goes back to, you know, stag records. You put on a, uh, you know, one of these albums at a stag party. And what really kind of uh, defined party records were they were very blue, as they say, in, in, in comedy terms, uh, which was like very kind of sexual themed and, and you had swearing. Basically, they were albums you had to go to the record store and ask for them because they were sold like under the counter, like in, in like a brown wrapper, almost like you're doing it like a drug deal or buying porn in Christian conservative America. <laughs> but apparently some of them, even after you had, took the wrapper off, they would have uh, pictures of naked women on the covers of these. But they're, they're like, for example, their nipples would be covered with more stickers. But apparently you could take these stickers off if you wanted. Yeah, and if you took the stickers off, there would be a nipple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, that's another great aspect of party records is they just had these really <laughs> great, great <laughs> colorful, on, on colorful covers. Yeah. covers. Yeah, and I'm looking at it, and a lot of them are just kind of the scenario is a man is in bed with a woman, 
and like an angry husband walks in. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking at a few of these, and that is sort of a theme. Like one is uh, Pipeline Dan and Luanda Page, uh, who we uh, most became famous as, uh, as you said, Aunt Esther on Sanford and Son. I want to talk about you men a little while. Yeah, I'm going to talk yeah. about them, honey, the dirty son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> they take the whores out to the bars, they buy champagne, and every damn thing. The whores falling in there with the mink stoles and the diamond rings, honey. Honey, them whores got money, honey, because they done took all the money your husband had. <laughs> And so uh, Pipeline Dan's in bed with another woman, and LaWanda Page is in the frame, and she's holding up a rolling pin. <laughs> the, the, the classic rolling <laughs> pin, which I think she would do that on, on Sanford and Son sometimes, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she uh, she had a pretty amazing career. Uh, uh, came up, you know, doing the African-American comedy circuit. And she actually knew Red Fox, like, when they were pre-teens growing up in St. Louis. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, you know who else uh, Red Fox knew when he was younger? Malcolm X. Yeah, that was crazy. They were they worked together on a, a Pullman uh, uh, car, I think. Was he known as like St. Louis Red, or is that what? Yeah, because apparently, to? yeah, because apparently, like he had red hair back then. Yeah, that's where his name, the name comes from. So he wasn't communist. No, no, he was. No, no, no. He was, he's, <laughs> no, he's running. A, he's running a junkyard. It's fine. Yeah. So the big label of Party Records was Laugh Records, and the predecessor to that was uh, a label called Dutu Records. So did Dutu keep going at the same time after Laugh? I mean, I know Laugh kind of took it over. It looks like they had the big names. Ah, interesting tidbit. Dutu wasn't strictly a comedy uh, record al- label. It, it also did a lot of like doo-wop and like fifties doo-wop, and they also did comedy. But the thing is, Red Fox first recorded his album Laugh of the Party on Dutu Records. There was an old, old, old man sitting on the bus looking out the window reading the racing farm and the young girl got on there and was so proud and she didn't have nowhere to sit and he sit right on the end. She just said, uh, could you, he said, I'm an old man. I'd like to give you my seat, but I'm an old man. But I tell you what you can do. You can sit right down here on my, my lap. I'm an old man and it, it don't make no difference if you know what I mean. She said, oh, why, okay. And so she sat down in the old man's lap and they started hitting a few bumps down here on Central, you know, where they're building up. And they bumped by the block and a half. The old man said, look here, daughter, I think you better get up because I ain't as old as I thought I was. And at the time, uh, it was kind of a risky thing because he didn't, he was, you know, working the nightclub circuit and he thought if he recorded a blue album, that would ruin his ticket sales at, at the nightclubs. So he still recorded this album on Do Two Records, Laugh of the Party, and it ended up in like 1955 times selling uh, 250,000 uh, records. Okay, all right, you can't turn away. Can't turn away from that. No. So then after that, he just kept recording albums, like like blue themed albums. From there, he went over to uh, Laugh Records. Um, and so, so, what did they have? I think I think you mentioned something even before. If we could go uh, into the proto history, the prehistory of yeah. these, there was those those records from the 1940s that you were talking about earlier. So, party albums. I mean, like putting out like kind of a blue, you know, kind of album wasn't anything that 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 was new. Like in the 40s, I found these records called. Uh, they were like 78s. 
And at the time, they were considered so obscene that it was illegal even to produce, buy, sell, or possess these records. So there were these 78s, and they had like routines like the urinal or the hair lip salesman. And you listen to them now in 2017 years, and it's pretty tame. Well, just for the fun of it, I thought I'd make a list of all the different types of men that I watched pissing in a public lavatory. Oh, you go ahead and read the list off, wifey. I'll show you what I mean. All right, honey, here goes. The first one says excitable man. Excitable man. Well, sir, he's the one that has his shorts all twisted around, can't find the hole, so he rips his pants in the rain. But you had to go into a record store and buy these under the counter. Yeah. It's kind of like, a, I think, like, the equivalent is, like, you ever take, like, road trips, like, through Texas or whatever, and you, hey. and you go to truck stops, and <laughs> then there's always, like, the CDs of trucker comedians you never heard of. Right, yeah. So I always just, like, ironically, like, buy those up. <laughs> but I think it was, like, kind of similar like that. You could only find these under the counter, or you had to be, like, in the know. Yeah, I think it was, like, with the technology thing. I think it's just the novelty of, because that, like, that urinal salesman one is just, I Oh, don't you know. listen to that? Yeah, of course I did, yeah. The, oh, there's nice. that one, and the, was the other one the Dr. Pooh or, or whatever one? Well, I'd been to every doctor in town, and somebody said that old Doc Shits was the best doctor for piles. So I went up to his office, and on the way up the steps, you know, getting up there, I shoveled shit both sides of the steps with my feet. I got up to his office and sat down in a pile of shit in a chair, and old Doc Shits came out with a long beard on and a mustache full of shit, and he was wringing it out with both hands, you know. Well, he came up to me, and after wringing shit out of his beard, he shook hands with me, and it wasn't long before I was slinging shit right back at him, you know. Well, he said, kind of genial-like, now get up there in that table and turn it up to me, so I did. I knew what he meant. <laughs> and he said, pull it wide open, so I did. I got hold of the cheeks on both sides, and I pulled it and pulled it and stretched it as much as I could and two or three of them goddamn little piles jumped out he said, say, he said, let me put my hand up there and he put some kind of a sock on his hand and ran it clear up there and gentlemen, I and shit for three days and did he ever waller in it? So that was just like double entendres yeah, and, and, it's and all the, that shit. Well, it's, but towards the end of it, it's not even, they're just saying shit a lot and I think it's just the novelty of them getting away with being able to say this where you couldn't, you could not hear this in any other recorded medium. You know, yeah. so they, they they broke that down. So to us now, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, you know. Well, it's like the 1940s. So uh, yeah. I don't know when the Hayes Code ended. So when 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 like movies were being censored, you know, just getting a record with a guy saying shit a lot was yeah. like uh, unbelievable. Like right. you would probably, I I just picture having like a 1940s stag party, like it's stag night, and you would pull out these like 78 right. <laughs> records and put it on and it'd be like oh my god oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then we'd give, drink a couple of another bourbon <laughs> give me a bourbon uh, put we'll, that one on again uh, we're gonna go fondle the stewardess <laughs> the difference was those were white comedians doing it and uh another predecessor was a guy named Bert henry just the other day this lady walked into the furniture store the clerk come over and says can i help you she says yes i'd like to buy a sexual couch i beg your pardon I'd like to buy a sexual couch. Well, I don't want to seem rude, but I think you made a mistake. You mean sectional. She's a sectional, smectional. I don't care, as long as I get an occasional piece in the living room. He's found on uh, Adam Stag Party Record 3, The Shocking Humor of Bert Henry, mm -hmm. who was a, 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 a blue, which is in quotes, Los Angeles comedian back in the 50s and 60s who looked like kind of like a 
TV sitcom dad of the day and recorded albums in kind of divey L.A. bars. With, and here's how they describe it. Stunningly X-rated for their day, some featuring body naked lady album covers. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just, you know, a lot of just kind of double entendres. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of half-naked ladies on these album covers. I mean, we'll have to say it. There wasn't the most um, uh, progressive female roles on the cover. Even, I think, even LaWanda Page, like you said, she's holding a uh, a roller pin. And she's and she's kind of mad on a lot of her covers. you got to give them, like, some creds. Like, even in almost up until modern day that, you know, featuring, like, women comedians. And that's probably another thing uh, of, of party records uh is, you know, some of their big recording stars were uh, women comedians, you know. I know it's around the same time you would have, like, Phyllis Diller and, you know, but there there was there just wasn't a lot of, like, female comedians. And then here, like, some of their big recording stars are female comedians. Yeah, well, not just female, like, black female comedians. Yeah, too, exactly. You know, yeah. Were... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So back in, in you know, like, the 60s and and 70s. So you got to give Laugh Records that credit. This is another Laugh Record uh, recording artist, female comedian, Tina Dixon, who on her album cover, Calling All Freaks, it says, the bigger the cushion, the better the pushing. And she's sort of like in a, I don't know, is it like a tutu or like a corset? And she's kind of looking (laughs) at the camera like, ah. I don't don't know. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, so again, uh, it's, it's kind of blue. <laughs> Snort good cocaine. Don't be ashamed, because you know one thing, that's the name of the game. Take another drink, cocksucker. Don't be sober, because you just must, and you just might bust your nuts before this shit is over. <laughs> Yeah, the freaks. You see where you know a lot of the um, the rap and stuff later on came from. You know where it's a lot of just people getting up and and telling these rhyming kind of stories. Dolomite is probably the best example of this, where that first track is just him telling a story. Yeah, and, and by the way, that track was sampled by techno uh, band The Crystal Method. Oh, really? For their song "Name of the Game." Okay, well, you know what's interesting about that cover too is that you've so you've got Tina up front saying calling all freaks, and then over to the right you have the uh, Laugh Records mascot mascot saying uh, how in another speech bubble because they're big into speech bubbles. Yeah. You know, how how would you like to stick your pin in that cushion? I guess talking about the label's owner was a guy named. Well, actually, I think the main guy was. I think his name was Richard Drosen. It was really his son who was like the main producer of Laugh Records. Yeah, he took um, he took over from his dad, right? I and mean, that was pretty much it. The story there. Yeah, and just another feature of of laugh or party records is how shitty they were recorded. That and, you, and if you read about it, that was just like a known thing of like these. They were just recorded like so bad, like so cheaply, like basically just a microphone in 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 a club, like where you just hear all the clanking and just like poor recording quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or they would do it in a studio where they would actually have a for real recording studio, but then they'd invite a bunch of people into the studio so it sounded like a club. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, it's either like recorded, and, and the main clubs that they recorded at was uh, Red Fox's Club. So I think it was called the Red Fox Club. And this sounds creepy in 2017 days. Uh, the co-owner of the Red Fox's Club was Bill Cosby. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> he, so I know. Doesn't that sound like, and just with modern knowledge, yeah, it's a, a late night nightclub, <laughs> a lot, a lot Bill, of a lot of booze, drink specials <laughs> in quotes, <laughs> medicine cabinet. Yeah. So, but uh, so a lot of these live laugh records were, were they were recorded at Red Fox's club, which is yeah, like on La Cienega. If if you've been in L.A., that's like uh, you know one of the main streets right in the heart of Hollywood, and a lot of clanking of glasses. But one thing I, I picked up from just listening to these is just how how much the audiences were just like laughing and just shrieking and, and just like just way just getting into it so much. But honey, when that son of a bitch come in, I tell you what you do. Get smart like the whores, baby. Do what the whores do, honey. Take that son of a bitch and put him in the bed and fuck him good. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know call and response type things you know that you'll hear uh, from the audience going back to the performer and stuff. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just like you're capturing this slice of non-mainstream comedy. Yeah, that 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 producer David Drozen had some pretty good stories, especially with um, Richard Pryor that I wanted to talk that I wanted to bring up here, which are pretty um, interesting. So when he was talking that uh, they were recording that Craps album. That, yeah, so uh, that was actually that was Richard Pryor's second album. Yeah. Um and but go ahead, yeah. Yeah, when he was recording that, um apparently Richard Pryor was so coked out that um David Drosen had to go into Richard's apartment, carry him out over his shoulder so they could do the photo shoot for the cover of the album. Apparently if you you look if you look at him on the album cover, you can see he's pretty he's pretty out there. He's pretty wired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, uh, so that was, that was the thing that put, um, that album put Laugh Records like on, on, it was Richard Pryor's first breakout, uh, album, which was recorded in 1971. Craps with the in parentheses after Albert Hours album. This is kind of when he, I guess when he was, he, he was doing his real comedy. It was like after the period when he'd been on, um, already been on like Sullivan and stuff. Started snorting cocaine. <laughs> Had to quit that too, because I wake up in the middle of the night and say to my wife, You fucking the paper boy. <laughs> I mean, this is a whole other podcast in itself. Right. So uh oh, uh, wait, no, no, hey, that was my line. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, you can go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Richard Pryor, like, he started as, like, kind of like a mainstream Bill Cosby. Uh, and, and again, that sounds like horrible <laughs> what he's saying, Bill Cosby type comedian, but in style. Um, but listening to a podcast of George Slatter the other day, uh, uh, producer of Laughing, I heard it, he said it was the opposite of the way around. Like Bill Cosby was taking from uh, Richard Pryor, even when Richard Pryor was clean. Mm-hmm. But Richard Pryor like totally like ditched that. I think he went up to Berkeley and just started hanging around like Berkeley, California, oh, yeah, in the yeah. counterculture. Right, and then yeah. then he came back and started doing comedy again. Mm-hmm. So this was like part where like his rebirth 
into comedy. And then they recorded the, you know, uh, Richard Pryor crap album. Again, that's recorded at Red Fox's club. Yeah, there's a good bit on there about being in a police lineup. I'd be running from the cops and shit, you know, because we have like curfew, 11 o'clock. Right, you had to be home. Niggas had to be home by 11. Negroes, 12. <laughs> and white cops worked at night. Your ass was in trouble if they caught you. Right, they catch you now. Get your hands up, black boy. I didn't do nothing. Shut up, punk. Put your hands against the wall. There ain't no wall. Find one. <laughs> like some of the bits, like don't really kind of like uh, carry well. Like the bits about punching your wife. Yeah, there's a lot. That's another thing. A lot of those Red Fox makes it quite a few of those punching your wife jokes. Yeah, and the mainstream uh, 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 face of that is the honeymooners. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like Alice, one of these days to the moon. That's not very nice. I know. Vernon Chapman, when he used to do stand-up, he had a bit about that. It was <laughs> like, they're going to do a new Honeymooners and update it, and the line's going to be, Alice, one of these days, they're going to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But it, we're, we're, it was like, kind of like modern-day prior. Yeah, there's a good bit about him being in a police lineup. Take uh, you downtown. You've been downtown? <laughs> you folks know about going downtown. <laughs> and they talk shit to you, right? Good thing you ain't in Alabama, boy. <laughs> We clean your goddamn plow. And I'd be glad I wasn't in Alabama, too. I hate it for him to call my father up, though, right? Because, you know, Mr. Pryor, we have your son down here at headquarters. What about it? Fuck him. <laughs> but here's the thing with Laugh Records. So they recorded um, Richard Pryor's crap uh, album uh, for Laugh Records. And so that became so successful that his next album, I think, was on Warner Brothers. For the crap album, they recorded, like, so much material. So the album's only, like, 35 minutes long, and a lot of these albums are just, like, about 35 minutes long, that when when uh, Richard Pryor left and went to, um, I think, Warner Brothers, uh, they still had all these back tapes, so they would just keep reissuing all the unused material that was on, uh, on the crap album. And so each release would get significantly not as good as as the last one <laughs> and i just had to point out here um harman that it's called the craps plural yeah album. yeah because like he's, playing, he's playing craps on the cover right right not crap for like like the the, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. shit joke um i think one a good example of that uh, if i'm could skip forward a little bit a couple years here in time to touch mm-hmm. on that, what you just talked about with recycling Pryor's material. So um, <laughs> Richard and Willie, the, the ventriloquist pair, put out an album, uh, and one of their albums put out on Laugh was Richard Pryor meets Richard and Willie and the SLA, which, yeah, which is that's an album cover. Yeah, which is just it's. I think Pryor's a dummy too on that, and then there's Richard and Willie, and then there's somebody who looks like they're with the SLA. But what's the interesting thing is, is that you would get from the title of the album is that all three of them are together and they're not a factory. They're just recycling those Richard Pryor bits into this album. They're just dropped into this album randomly. Yeah, I started listening to that and I was trying to figure out, uh, you know, which one's Pryor and which one is uh, Richard and Willie. And, And they were just kind of like, if someone just 
just dropped them all in like back to back. Yeah, without a segue. Yeah, there's no segues <laughs> or nothing. It's just all cut up in a lot of '70s jokes. That album's from 1976. Yeah, a lot of Nixon jokes. <laughs> and a lot of Ford jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like some of that uh, material was on uh, craps that are, are dropped into that album. But yeah, that was the thing that Laugh Records did was uh, they would just recycle uh, and repackage um, material on, on prior recordings. And when I say prior, not, prior, prior, that's what I meant. Yeah, not Richard Pryor <laughs> recordings. Or oh, here, here's a, here's a fact I, I I didn't drop in. Uh, so when Red Fox was on Dutu Records, uh, he recorded 14 albums between 1956 and 1958. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, which is a lot of listening. But I wonder if it's like he's doing like new material on those 14 albums, or is he are they repackaging or he has like 14 albums worth of new material. Yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of, that's be a lot of Red Fox that I have to listen to. I know. Maybe <laughs> we should do a, a podcast on the history of comedy and where we actually know these things. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's figure out who Baroness Bobo is. So is that the, was that the, um, the, the drag queen? Yeah. So okay. I haven't listened to it. So let's just hear what this track is. Hold on. Oh, Baroness Bobo uh, had an album, African-American Drag Queen, and had an album called Mouse in My Pants. Oh, okay, dear. Oh, my heavens, okay. Every country represents its own section of love. But France has been known for lovers. But there was a Frenchman. He met this sister... She looked like an M&M to him. <laughs> you know what that do? It melts in your mouth, not in your hand. You know, that's another, like, uh, kind of old school form is the long storytelling joke. Let me just explain the album cover. A man is standing there, and he has sort of, he's dressed, he has his crotch out, and Baroness Bobo is looking at him, and the the word bubble says, "Oh my God, is that a mouse?" <laughs> and that, and, but that sort of also exemplifies a lot of the humor uh, on party records. They were like very, very big on the double entendres. Mm-hmm. Like for example, you have the uh, woodpecker song. Woodpecker pecking in my backyard. Tell me why you pecker gets hard. Hard pecker. Hard pecker. Right. And then, of course, there's the famous uh, Lawanda record, uh, the pipe laying Dan, because you know he's laying, he's laying pipes. And so, in the cover of Pipe Laying Dan, Lawanda's caught what I, th- I assume is to be Dan in bed with another woman, and she's just yeah. where she's got the rolling pin. And yes. and the Dan Pipe Laying Dan is just saying, just discussing some plumbing, honey, to the about the woman. Exactly. And, and then the other woman in bed is saying, oh, wow, what a wrench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these album covers are great. It's either topless woman, but but the ones where they actually had a photo shoot, and, and um, they're just all kind of just really funny. Yeah, it kind of looks like a live – it's almost like a live-action cartoon kind of looking. But then they, it, it seems like a lot of these – 
Um, they wound up kind of doing some kind of takeoffs on like the popular albums of the day. Like for example, mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of the like the Richard and Willie albums look kind of like a you know like a Lawrence Welk album kind of like they've got one where it's one that kind of looks like a, a Christmas album kind of thing in that kind of seventies font and very got, actually almost shot pretty well, shot like a standard yeah. normal looking album, but you know tongue in cheek. Well, yeah, I mean that was kind of like the style of like. 60s records is kind of like a stage sort of a scene which yeah. is like they're taking off on yeah i mean like and a lot of the a lot of the stuff on the doto uh is as it do to doto uh um, do to a lot of that in the label like that they actually had for real um even on the some of these red fox albums it's it's like for real kind of i would call it space age bachelor patch kind of like the esquivel kind of album covers where they're they're kind of uh, aping style of the day or not not only they're mock, it looks like they're almost these are almost straightforward design they're just kind of uh trying to make t- trying to look like a legitimate um album covers yeah, yeah. I mean, the graphics are great. Like yeah, on these old yeah. Red Fox album covers, kind of like you know the jazz records of the day. Yeah, I mean, there's um, a couple. Yeah, there's a couple. Of the, even the Red Fox ones on these. Yeah, due to barely had a little bit more of a of a budget for um, marketing and uh, record labels. Yeah, so you know, because um, their main thing was doo wop records. So I think mm-hmm. that's where they made most of their money until like Red Fox came along. It'd be interesting to see like if he's doing like new material on every album cover or every album. And, and another big breakout star, which is funny uh, uh, and ties into Red Fox, is a comedian called Oh Sloppy Leroy Dan. Oh yes, yeah, Slop. That he's on this, but yeah, he's he's on that on the Dutu label. That next morning when we got up, I got up and got ready to go to work, and she walked me to the door. She said, "Goodbye, old meal." I said, "What's wrong with you? My name Leroy. Why you call me old meal?" She said, "Because after three minutes, you were done." <laughs> Um, yeah, he started on the Dutu label, then went to Laugh Records, where he teamed up with a guy named Skillet. So it was like Skillet and Daniels. And do you want to know how it all ties in together? They uh, became like semi-regulars on Sanford and Son. Yeah, because they, they, well, they were part of a sketch comedy team with LaWanda. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they were a sketch comedy team in the in Los Angeles in the '60s, and then they kind of it looks like um, from what I was reading about was the uh, Wanda had a guest spot on Sanford and Son, where it turned into a regular kind of role, and then then she looks like they brought uh, Daniels and Skillet Skillet and Daniels along too. So it was all all the regulars there. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of like a cool tie, you know. Yeah. Um, so another another uh, cool feature of the album covers, or speaking of the album covers, was the back uh, cover uh, linear notes, which, according to an article I wrote, were written in a bizarre black beatnik language that no one in the hood ever spoke, written by Shelby Meadows Ashford, a woman who joined the company as a bookkeeper. Oh, my God. Can we hear, <laughs> can we hear what some of those sound like? Yeah, okay, so this is from a back cover of, I don't know what album it is, but uh, uh, one of the Laugh Records uh, album covers, A Parade of Clowns and Jesters, so like it or lump it, hate it or hump it, your lights are going to be blinking bright over the risque disc, black folk taught white folk how to dance, and then they taught white folk to laugh, in capitals, spent (laughs) another XXX-filled evening with another XXX-filled album. All right. Got me sold. All right. I'm there for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm hip to it. 
Yeah, so I think it's just like that was like kind of the cool thing about, you know, you get these albums, you buy them under the counter, back covers like in some weird kind of beatnik, kind of like beatnik poetry, and then you're getting like these, you know, extra blue, risque, dirty, you know, material, uh, you know, these dirty comedy albums, like X-rated comedy albums. Mm-hmm. That you had to go and ask for, and the parents would try to hide from the kids, and would, yeah. always, would only slip on at night when they knew that the kids weren't weren't up and listening. You know, that's another like uh, kind of old school form is the long storytelling joke. Yeah, like the yeah, like the extended um, uh, rhymes and stuff like that. There's a lot a lot of those in there. Like Laugh Records was sort of like an underground record label, but. Um, there are components that made it to mainstream. So Baroness Bobo was a drag queen, but, um, but then again, you know, in the mainstream, um, you know, roughly around the same era, Flip Wilson became uh, popular, like as as a drag character. Right. Yeah. And then, and then you know, then we can all see where um, RuPaul. What was the name of the drag character, Flip Wilson? Oh, Geraldine. Yeah. No. Okay. So yeah, Flip Wilson became popular with Geraldine. Yeah. Which is uh, African American drag character. So right. again, that became in in sort of into the mainstream. Yeah. Okay. And which and you... if you look on like or you listen to like one of Luanda Page's like albums, uh, like her tagline was "Sock it to me." Right. And where did that end up? Well, I think that was kind of a big '70s thing. I don't know if that was particularly hers. Could be wrong, but I think that was just kind of a. It was kind of like a, a 70s phrase. But also, like, into, like, something that was, like, on, on the underground circuit in the mainstream and on the same TV show was uh, Here Comes the Judge was an old uh, pig meat Martin uh, bit. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Everybody knows that he is So I was just listening to an uh, uh, interview with George Slatter, the uh, creator of Laughing, and he said, right. "Yeah, we just we'll have Sammy Davis Jr. come out and do like Pig, Pig Meat Martin's line, yeah, while dressed as a judge <laughs> or <laughs> something, and that's the gag." Yeah, you okay, know, but it's so fast, bam. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, 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 what do you think is uh, Party Records' place in history? Well, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, it's obviously it did, they were did a great job of bringing up these black performers, mostly black performers that people had never heard of into mm-hmm. the mainstream. Cause I, it's just so yeah. weird watching when you read about Sanford and son and you keep, you see all these people who all started out at the same time. And what was really interesting hearing that, uh, the first like when you told me we we're going to be doing this, and then I listened to that first LaWanda page album and the first uh, just, and, uh, Aunt, Aunt Esther going, well, I'm talking. I'm talking about my pussy, and I fuck. You know, it's just like so. Like, whoa, hold on. Yeah, it's just so, so it's over just, the top. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just like it, first it was like kind of like it helped to integrate the stand-up scene, uh, you know, with African American performers, you know, at a time when uh, yeah, it, it's the '60s. So mm-hmm. uh, again, uh, you know, and there was like kind of like you know there was like Dick Gregory at the time, and and, and uh, you know, Bill Cosby, but they were like, you know, 
playing Vegas in, you know, tuxedos and all that. And this brought also brought to light this whole other, you know, uh, black comic circuit that was like, you know, touring America or in like, you know, major cities like Los Angeles and New York, where, uh, you know, these were comedians that were ignored by uh, big record labels. Uh, and also, I think it's also that, that, that recording, the crappy recording quality actually sort of added to it. Um, cause you actually felt like you're in the club cause you could hear like the clinking of glasses and like everything else, you know, where nowadays you would mic, you know, you'd run the audio equipment through the mic right into the soundboard and maybe have another channel for the audience. But here it, it just felt like you were sitting at a table in these clubs. Yeah, I mean, and obviously it's like with the Red Fox record. I mean, it was just like you said, they pointed out, like, here's the place where we could make more, you know, where more money can be made, right? And so so that opened up a whole new avenue for performers, you know, to, to get paid in other ways where you just said, like you mentioned, where Red Fox was afraid that it would be taking away his ticket sales. Yeah. And it turned out to be the – now it's exactly the opposite paradigm today where performers are making their money from touring as opposed to album sales. Oh, that, and I'm going to take your catchphrase. That's a different podcast on its own. Because <laughs> there's no money yeah, 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 recording. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, yeah, that's a good point. So, um, but then again, it's also uh, look at the careers that were launched. It kind of helped, you know, uh, launch the second phase of Richard Pryor's career when mm-hmm. uh, he went from like Ed Sullivan comedian to, you know, the Richard Pryor that we know. And, and again, Red Fox was sort of at the forefront of launching these party records. And, uh, you know, even George Carlin did his first album. I don't know if it was his first album, but he did a album with them. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just like I said, we kind of, we talked about Dolomite a little bit, but he was like another party record. Oh, yeah, Dolomite. We forgot Dolomite. Another party record guy who started out doing these party records and the kind of character taking this character Dolomite and then, you know, using the money from his records going, Oh, this is obviously going to be popular and then kind of self-producing movies with that, you know? So, so, you know, making money. Yeah. Yeah. starting with his 1970 debate debut album, eat out more often. Some folks say that Willie Green was the baddest motherfucker the world ever seen. (laughs) But I want you to light your joint, take a real good shit, and screw your wig on tight. And let me tell you about the little bad motherfucker called Dolomite. That's right. And, he's, and I believe there are a number of ladies, a number of women on the cover of that album as well, who might be... Yeah, and just to play. point out, there was another uh, uh, party record guy named Jimmy Lynch, and he his big album was called Return of the Funky Tramp. Party with the real out of sight funky tramp, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only out of sight gentleman, taking care of plenty, plenty of business, fantastically out of groovy sight, ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Lynch, bring him on with a round of applause. Jimmy Lynch. Or I think he was his moniker was Funky Tramp, and then he did another album called Return of the Funky Tramp, 1974. And he ended up working with Dolomite, uh, most particularly in such movies as Disco Godfather. Oh, Disco Godfather. Okay, yes, Disco. That was the sequel to Dolomite, yes. Yeah, so I guess how that ties in is just, again, it was like a whole, like, almost like a Second City training ground that launched 
careers of, you know, people that went on to do, you know, iconic comedy projects outside of uh, stand-up. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool also to have this preserved as part of history of like this is what a live performance was. Yeah, live performance, but also kind of like this. These were these records that you had to buy under the counter, wrapped in like because the, the album covers are just like funny. But uh, you had to get them, and then it would just be kind of like at an event, like at a stag party, or the kids are sleeping and the adults are up, and you'd put on this party album right exactly and it would just be blue material and it's just like in like you know 1960s america <laughs> you know that must have been i we wouldn't even know what that's like because no. we're just so jaded with you the, know the internet anything you can find on the internet <laughs> and, and then another and just I, I guess like lastly uh of 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 the legacy of party records is like yeah like you said the Beastie Boys and other famous musicians uh, and DJs have sampled uh, tracks from party records ranging from uh, the Beastie Boys, you know, um, they they did also like a couple tracks of Richard Pryor to like NWA, NWA uh, uh, sampled Skillet and Leroy and uh, uh, Tina Dixon, so it lives on that way. I don't put my dick in the matches. <laughs> What kind of party is that? Yeah, what kind of, I don't know. I am up. <laughs> I am uptight and outraged. Yeah, so I think that does it for uh, party records. Um, if you have anything else, uh, uh, you as the listener would like to add, please comment on uh, either on our website wordsoverchair.com or on our iTunes page where you can subscribe, comment, rate our podcast. Uh, we would appreciate that. Anything else, Scott? Be sure to donate. Oh yeah, we can always buy. Some, we can buy some more party records with that money. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So we was there. We go. I just did the. You yeah, did yeah, your yeah, catchphrase, okay? I know. I did my catchphrase. That's my branding. It is. But yeah, donate. We appreciate the people that donate. Uh, they throw in like a fiver or even a dollar, and that helps to buy. Uh, Blue pencils where we can we mark up for editing on the reel to reel tapes when we edit these podcast episodes. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that does it for Comedy History 101. Bye bye. Bye bye. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.